0: is the Resilient and Resource Podcast. On today's episode, I speak with Jenny. And I find out that Jenny's relationship with resilience has been marked by a strong sense of just knowing that giving up simply wasn't an option. So unraveling the impact of this survival mindset has been a lifelong journey that has been punctuated by deep and significant losses. So Jenny, who is now a Reiki master, has learned to explore the wisdom of the body, ways of working with difficult emotions, and now she has a passion for helping others do the same. I'm your host, Danette Adams, so please join me today for this powerful conversation about loss, grief, and discovering resources within and without. Okay, I am so excited to welcome to the podcast today, Jenny. Jenny, thank you for being here. It's an honor. So I like starting these conversations with the concept of resilience and having the guests speak about their relationship to resilience. So this could be historically, it could be things you learned growing up, things you've just learned recently. So tell me about Jenny and
1: resilience. For me, I feel like as I was thinking about this, um, I feel like resilience has kind of been forced on me. Not that I'm ungrateful to have the resilient tools that I have now, but it's often felt like trial by fire. You either survive or you don't. And in that, looking back, I realized that I was making a conscious choice to not quit. I don't think I knew it at the time. It didn't feel like there was a choice. Uh, It was simply, here's this big situation most of them around grief and loss, Um, and it was either sink or swim. And I didn't know that sink was an option, and so therefore, I had to learn how to swim. Mm, That's interesting. So you you mentioned
0: around grief and loss, so what are some of the challenges that have in your life that have caused you to consider this concept of of resilience and, and to look at the quitting,
1: sinking or swimming idea in your life? Mm Hmm. Uh, Grief has been my biggest teacher in my life. And so I've lost a lot of people close to me. And not that I want it to define me, but when you ask about resilience, this is where I've learned it is through this, through walking through the grief. Um, When I was in university, that's when it started. Um, I lost a roommate to cancer. And growing up, dealing with emotions, was not it wasn't something, I think, that in the culture at the time that there wasn't any space for. And so growing up as a kid, I was taught, not necessarily with direct words, but implied, and looking at the actions of the adults around me, You don't talk about yourself. You don't feel proud. Um, You never, ever, heaven forbid you would ever tell somebody that you felt really good about something you had accomplished. That just wasn't, that wasn't acceptable. You stuffed it all down. And I wonder, as I look back, I wonder if that in my parents' generation was inherited by them from their parents who lived through the Russian Revolution and fled horrible circumstances, and so in those circumstances, you have to be resilient. Or literally, for them, it was a life and death choice. Right. So and there survive. was no yeah, yeah. Yeah. There was no space for managing emotions or processing emotions or for sitting with anything. Like when the Russian, when the, like when whatever army it was that came through my great grandmother had to think fast. And if she didn't want all her cutlery to be stolen, she threw it in the fireplace and covered it up so that the soldiers, even if they knew it was there, they couldn't touch it because it was too hot. Like that's brilliance, right? That's resilience, but there's no space in there to think about, um, managing that fear or that desire to protect your family. You just have to. And so that's what they lived with. That's what my grandparents grew up with. You, there's no time, there's no space, right. you stuff it. And right. so m- I suspect, I'm not a psychologist. Um, so this is all just my thoughts and musings. I suspect though that that's what my parents inherited because that's all that their parents knew. That was how they survived. And so by example, that is what the adults in my younger years demonstrated, you stuff it, you don't deal with it, Like you, it's not a public thing. And so then when my roommate was diagnosed with cancer, I decided, okay, I'm gonna deal with this the way that I've been taught. I'm going to stuff everything that I'm feeling and service was the other big thing. You help each other. Again, in order to survive traumatic circumstances, when you're in a community, you depend on each other. Survival. So I thought, okay, I will set aside myself completely and support my friend and this wasn't a it's not that I was trying to be noble or like it it was just it just felt like the thing that needed to happen right
0: and that that you were saying from your childhood though that was it was positive or negative emotions whatever came up you just stuff and serve exactly right so you were doing yeah you were
1: going by on automatic pilot of what you would learn yeah and so that's what I did, and I learned after the fact um, that that didn't serve me very well, because after she died, I ended up uh, very depressed. I was on medication for a while, like it was. And through through talking with a counselor, I learned one that I'm uh, fall into the category of a highly sensitive person. Mm which was a helpful identifier for me. Not that any of us want to be put in boxes, but sometimes we like to know that these labels make us normal. (laughs) Right. Or recognize it resonates with what we're
0: experiencing because I've had that same uh, conversation about myself and being highly sensitive. It resonated so much with me as as I read my first book about it. I was crying through it because I recognized myself on these pages that where I had never had any other affirmation before that that's what was going on so that yeah exactly
1: and it was freeing in that moment it was freeing that I didn't have to um, hide this that this could actually be normal and I couldn't get there yet but I had the sense that there's also a gift in this and so then that becomes a lifelong process which I'm still exploring but it was I realized that stuffing it and serving at the expense of myself which I didn't know I was doing didn't work and it wasn't the healthiest way for me to do it. Given that I wasn't living through a revolution, I wasn't in a literal survival mode, I wasn't dealing with my own life or death choices in the moment. And so I want to acknowledge that there's a whole lot of privilege and luxury and and space in there that not everybody has. My grandparents and great-grandparents certainly didn't have that. And so, I, when I realized that there were other ways to do this, then I thought, okay, actually, I don't think I realized there were other ways yet. When I realized that what I had done hadn't worked, then I started looking for other ways. Right. And so then,
0: when the next challenge in your life came up, had you learned something that would help you then do less of the stuffing, more of the experiencing and sitting with the difficult emotions?
1: Yeah, not quite yet. It took... took We're works in progress, right? We're works in progress. Exactly. And hallelujah that we can be works in progress. Oh my goodness. It's so much easier to acknowledge that, hey, I took a baby step. (laughs) Not that, oh darn, I'm not done yet. The there were two quick uh, deaths like so like I said this was grief so there's lots of good things that have also happened in my life I want to say that but resilience has come from grief and so uh, I lost my brother and then a year and a half later we lost our infant son and after that I realized that okay I'm not dealing with this very well and so then I started reaching out because I remembered the counseling had helped talking to somebody outside of my own circles had helped last time. So I did that again. And then I found the courage to, and was actually surrounded by three amazing women who had also lost their babies and having someone who had experienced it, walk together with you mm-hmm. is support like none other especially because they weren't afraid of it. Like I had all kinds of emotions and all kinds of wild and crazy thoughts and all kinds of, like, there were times when I thought maybe I was crazy. Maybe I was, but they weren't afraid of that. And they sat there with me in that and they walked with me. And so that was a very powerful thing was to be able to have friends um, and meet Two of these women were people who I had never met before. Um, it It was very powerful. And through that, I also... This is when I was introduced to a different way of understanding how the body works. And so three separate people, one of them was one of these, this trio of women who was walking with me, at three different times told me that I needed to go to see this craniosacral therapist. I was like, what is this? I don't, is this even real? This is so weird. I've not even heard of this. Is this really gonna help me? But, you know, sometimes, sometimes the universe just beats you over the side of the head enough times and you feel like, okay, fine, fine, fine. I'm gonna go, I'll try this out and maybe I'll never go again. So I went to see Jules and that was in 2008 and I still see her every month (laughs) and so that it was so powerful for me because she was able to tap into what my body was saying without me needing to engage my brain and so through that I learned okay there's more to this than I was ever taught and so what I've come to learn so now I'm a Reiki master which if you had told me back when my university roommate died that I would be in this situation I would have been like no way right. <laughs> like, you're crazy you're ridiculous this is not true that was the start of it because I realized that our bodies have their own wisdom and We've not been, we haven't always been taught how to, well, one, that it's possible, and two, that we can actually access it. We don't need, we don't always need the third party. There are times when the third party is essential and helpful, and it is incredibly valuable, but we can also tap into it ourselves. And the fact that as I went through this more and more that my body was telling things and my brain said, Oh, well, yeah, that that's actually true. That is can how you, I feel.
0: So can you give me a, an example of this, of, of how your body speaks to you and, and maybe even connecting it to how it speaks to you on a regular day. And then during grief, What's an example of how your body speaks to you in grief and
1: loss? The first time that I recognized that I was actually hearing what my body was saying was, so there's a little bit of context. So Nathan is our son. Nathan had died and through the second half of the pregnancy, as I, as I knew and progressed through it, my prayer was please let me keep him. I just want to keep my baby. And he died. He lived for two hours. It was an amazing, profound, sacred, holy experience, but he still died. Then I started to go see Jules. And I remember asking, she had wanted to know if I had a question. And so I said, well, it'd be nice to know why this happened. I was not actually expecting an answer because I was told God works in mysterious ways and we don't always understand what's going on. Okay, fine but I asked the question anyway, because that was the question that I wanted. And her response was, well, hold on, I'll go ask. And had I not been laying down on her treatment table, I probably would have fallen on the floor because I thought, hold on, wait a minute, this, you can talk to him? How, but it it was, it was huge. She came back with an answer. She said, he said that he knew that it wouldn't break you. I thought, oh. And that goes back to that, I didn't know that sinking was an option. Right. So I guess that's true. Uh, yeah. It, And in that moment, I knew that it wouldn't. I knew that this was really hard. But I knew that it wouldn't. And I didn't know how I knew that. But that connected on a level that I didn't understand. There was something in my body that knew. And then... So this was also very new and it was very different than what I had been taught was okay in my growing up church. And so I was testing this with a bunch of people. Like, so I'm going to see this person and these are the experiences that I'm having and they feel really good and really genuine. But there's this old thing that I grew up with that says that maybe this isn't safe. How do I hold these two together? And There was a moment when I was painting the outside of the house and all of a sudden I realized that because Jules had been able to talk to him, that meant that I could talk to him too. And that meant that I did get to keep him. And in that moment, I I had to sit down. Wow. That is so profound. And so I still talk to him. He still shows up he would be 13, he still shows up. And so I've gotten to keep him. Right. And what a profound example to me, so spirituality is tied up in all of this for me. Um, what, it, what it made very abundantly clear to me was that maybe the the doctrine that I had been taught as a kid from people who were well-meaning and this is what they knew and they were doing the best with what they had. Maybe that wasn't fitting me anymore. Maybe there was more. And maybe, and this was the big one, maybe I wanted to, to know more. And then I decided I did. And so since then it's been a process of realizing that, pick your name, God, the creator the universe source you know divine love it doesn't matter to me what name it is I tend to use God because it's what I'm familiar with but God is way bigger than what I was ever told or taught and again not by any fault of anyone but I was discovering God was so much bigger and together with that is that humans we have more power and more capacity to go above and beyond what we thought we would ever be able to do. That's me personally. So I realized that I have more power and more capacity to do things that I never thought were possible, like having conversations and an ongoing relationship with with all my dead people. (laughs) And is that what
0: sort of then led you in wanting to know more? Yes. That was what led you
1: to study Reiki. Yeah, and it was actually Jules' suggestion, random. One day she said, hey, I I think you might be a good fit for this course that my friend is teaching. She's into Reiki, she's a Reiki master, and she's taking this course, teaching this course. I think you should take it. And it was one of those moments, have you ever had them when someone suggests something and you just act on it without actually engaging your thinking brain and then when you get to the course, in my case, then they say, what brought you here? And you actually have no idea. My, my friend told me that I should do this, so here I am. I don't actually know why I'm here. Yeah, I absolutely <laughs> have had that experience and it has blown me out
0: of the water. Someone told me about 15, 20 years ago, oh, this school is looking for a teacher and I think you should go apply. And I'm like, I- I'm not a teacher. Like I'm not, I'm not a registered teacher. I teach things in my life, but I'm not a teacher. And did I not work at that school for 15 yeah. years after that recommendation and life-changing? Yeah. 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 So amazing. Wow. Yeah. Incredible. And so it's just,
1: it's gone on from there. There's been more and more. Um, I So I've now completed the Reiki, the, the basic amount of Reiki training. So I took four courses. And now I have a practice, which... I also never would have thought that I have, uh, that I would have. And I know that, and people have told me that when they have a session with me, they can feel the difference. And I think, wow, what an honor and what a privilege to, to be able to turn what I experienced into something that led me down a path that turned into something that was so beautiful and so helpful for someone else. Mm-hmm. I don't know. And when we're sitting kind of...
0: with loss and grief, those don't even seem like possibilities. When you're leaning into those horrible yeah. feelings of, of um, being sort of abandoned you know, that, what, yeah. it's just very challenging to see that there's anything. So what an amazing progression from the, from the beginning of your story until now. I would love to know, Jenny, um, what you love about yourself. You you talked about that there is no option for sinking or swimming, and I think I love that about you already, and I just learned that. <laughs> um, but what is it about yourself? What quality or key strength do you have that you think, contributes to your ongoing learning and growing in this area of resilience?
1: I've learned that, um, and I wasn't always this way, but when people ask me about my losses, I will tell them anything. I will tell them all the things. And so often I've heard from people that in just me allowing myself to be me, and just saying what's on my heart, or what my experience was like, the hard parts, and the really ugly parts, and the beautiful parts, that they find it so meaningful. And I never would have thought that, because I was taught to stuff it. And so realizing that there is this beauty in being vulnerable, in safe ways, of course, but. There's power in it, in being vulnerable with, with friends and, and people, people around. Like, I remember when you asked me about this, I I told you, I was like, there's no question off the table. You can ask me anything you want. Um, yeah. And I see that, that uh, amazingly, I see that tied to, so your
0: openness, you're willing to be vulnerable with people that seems to open up the connections with other people so your resilience that you had growing up was just there's no option I'm just going to keep going and I don't know why but to the you reaching out to others so yes you can access it within yourself but your vulnerability automatically means you're connected to people that are helping you people that you're helping yeah it's sort of it's like your resilience and resource which is like the reason I named this podcast this that you have access to both and you access both with vulnerability and strength, which I think is just fascinating
1: Thank yeah, you. and beautiful. It's beautiful. Thank yeah. you. So, I'm okay. not always that way. <laughs> just to be clear. Yes. Again, the <laughs> work in progress back, idea. Exactly. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yes. Um, so during this pandemic time, what are some other resources that you have accessed when you know, you have a family, you have work, things have changed for everybody, maybe triggering old traumas and losses during this time of loss of connection with people. So what are some other resources that you've reached out to during this time?
1: Friends, but I've, I still go back to this I go back to these things that I've learned about myself and this whole thing about how much bigger God is than what I thought and how much bigger I am than I thought. And when I say I, I mean all of us, all of us human beings. You know, I, I really think we're all pieces of the divine walking around with skin on. And we're all in a process of learning what that is and what that means. And some of that has been really forced upon us in the last year. And I've also, I've also leaned hard on, on the the ways that I learned to process all of those big emotions that I had. I, I have an unshakable knowing that I am supported and it's within me. Sometimes I have to dig deeper to get to it, but I know that it's there and it's because, <laughs> can I tell the story about beating up God with the baseball I hat? absolutely would love <laughs> you to tell this story. <laughs> so shortly after Nathan died, I was understandably, really sad. And my arms would physically ache because I didn't have the baby to hold. And then I'd get mad. And there was one day when I was laying on our bed, just sobbing. I was so sad and I got, I can be a bit stubborn. And so I kind of, I kind of got pissed off. I kind of got mad. And I said to myself, fine. I'm really tired of feeling sad because remember my brother had also died a year and a half before and so I felt like I had been grieving now for two years and it was just another wave and then another wave and then another wave. It's like fine I'm just going to deal with all of this right now which of course is not how it works but there was a, (laughs) a huge amount that I was prepared to deal with and I cried and I just let myself sob and like ugly cry, like the snot's running out of your nose and there aren't enough Kleenexes. And the sounds that you're making, you wonder where on earth they're coming from and are these even human? Is there some weird creature living inside of my voice that's doing all of this? But I kept going, it's like, there's got to be a bottom to this. There's got to be. And so when the desperate crying had finished, then I just got really angry and I realized, I really wanna hit something. But I couldn't bring myself to physically hit anything. I tried hitting the pillow, that was not good enough. It's like, okay, so I have a pretty good imagination. So I thought, all right, I'm gonna imagine hitting something. It's like, what do I wanna hit? And So I'm experimenting with all kinds of things like punching stuff. It's like, hmm, no, my fists are not strong enough. And so then in my imagination, I saw a baseball bat lying on the ground. It's like, ooh. That's going to feel really good to hit something with. Okay. And it felt safe because I'm in my imagination. I'm not actually hurting anything. It's like, okay. And so there was a fence post in front of me. Okay. Where these things came from? I have no idea, <laughs> but I'm pretty sure that this is my body's wisdom saying, Hey, you're asking for it. Here's what you need. Here you go. Here's another one. So this fence post, I got a baseball bat. So I hit the, I hit the fence post. I pummeled the fence post into the ground. I was not done. Ah, oh, fine what else and then I realized that I needed to hit God because through this oh shoot I'm gonna start crying again through the whole process we found out halfway through the pregnancy that Nathan wasn't gonna make it and through the whole process there was no one to blame it was nobody's fault it just happened and so even though it was nobody's fault, I was still mad. And so the only place that I could put that anger that was safe was to beat God up with this baseball bat. And once I, got, once I got over the horror of what, it, what I was about to do, I just let it fly. And I was able to imagine it so vividly that when I was finally done, I was completely spent. I was exhausted as if I had physically used my muscles and swung that heavy baseball bat for however long it took. And then as I lay there on my bed, spent, still kind of horrified at what I had just done. It's like, this is not okay. This is not what you're supposed to do. Nobody treats God like this, that's not allowed. As I lay there in that silence, then I heard, it's okay. Your anger is safe with me. It's okay. I love you. And then I cried again for a whole different set of reasons but it was such a profound healing moment for me to know that like there's no greater indignity than beating someone up with with a tool like that's that's horrible and it was okay i felt so heard and so understood and so comforted and this indescribable understanding of how much I was loved and how big God was that God could actually take, that God could handle all of that. And so that, that changed everything. It was still really hard. (laughs) Don't get me wrong. It didn't fix it, but it changed everything. And then I knew that nothing was out of bounds. Nothing was off limits. There was no wrong answer. There was no wrong question and there was no wrong thing to throw at God. I, I almost don't even want to
0: speak. That was, it's so exquisitely sad and poignant and yet hopeful that I, I, I don't even really know how to respond except to sit with it. Um, and, yeah, I think I'll be sitting with that story for a while. Um, just beautiful. Just so sad and beautiful. And, and so and meaningful so- for you about like give you the hope that nothing was out of bounds and the fact that you can
1: spend like you felt like that feeling of being spent you can spend some of this grief yeah. and I have picked that baseball bat up again mm-hmm. and I've come at God I'd be like okay I need to do this again and it's always have at her right. and then and it's I get so powerful. it out <laughs> yeah it's so
0: powerful too based on where you come from from being raised with the image of God in a certain way and that you've now come to learn from the wisdom of your body and to learn that wisdom coming from God can be looked completely different than it did when you were growing up. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, I I almost, I I don't almost don't want to move on to the next question because I just want to sit with that, but that's going to be kind of odd on a podcast, an audio (laughs) podcast where people are just listening and me sitting here, you know, taking in and sitting with us. I'll do that later after we're done. (laughs) Um, But I wonder with so much that you've learned about your body's wisdom, um, so much that you've learned about how to look at what you've learned in your past um, and how to sit with grief and loss in (laughs) active and maybe
1: less (laughs) active ways. Yes.
0: um, What advice would you have for people, whether or not the loss and grief that they're experiencing is even been triggered from this past year, of the pandemic or that they've lost someone in their life. What advice would you have for people who are experiencing things that you've experienced?
1: I think everyone has lost something during the pandemic. And I think we're fooling ourselves if, if we think that we haven't. And that said, what I know from experience is that with that loss, there's the potential for something new. And so uh, I opened a business during the pandemic. Who does that? And again, it was one of those things where I realized somebody asked and I said, yes, yes, this is what I am meant to do. And then reality hit and I went, oh my goodness, what did I just say yes to? But there was that unshakable peace that I knew. And I have come to recognize that that knowing, because I've tested it so many times, the logical part of my brain has finally given in and said, oh, right, yeah, that's that thing again. All right, fine, I'll shut up. I'm not gonna try and talk you out of this. Fine, just go. And so I've I've learned to to experiment and to try things and try things that are inspired and come from this, this place of knowing that I'm still developing a relationship with, but these, I'm less afraid of my emotions and I've learned that they are, they can be when I'm open to it, they can be a guidepost for me. And this one is really hard because there's sometimes when I feel things and I probably know what they're telling me and I don't want to hear that and so there's times when I still resist pretty strong but there are other times when I'm able to sit and I'm able to process um, again because I, I have the luxury and the, the privilege of having the space and the resources to reach out and talk to people both friends and professional support people to sit with them and to know that they can shift and learning how to shift them or maybe a better way to put it is learning how to be with them and let them shift because there's one thing I've learned that emotions can't be forced but they can be attended to. And when we give our attention and, and let ourselves feel, then, then there, there become possibilities. So emotions, what I've learned chemically have a beginning, a middle and an end. I didn't know that, which is kind of hopeful. And so there are ways that you can sit with things, and if you let it go all the way through, then it finishes. Somebody told me once that anger, true anger actually lasts in your body for about 90 seconds. And then if I'm still angry after that 90 seconds, I'm a a mom, so there's there's times when I get angry and frustrated in my house. Perhaps other people can relate. Um, That was a shocker, because I realized, oh, there's times when I'm angry for more than 90 seconds about the same thing and so then it's a choice darn i don't i don't want that to be a choice i want that to be someone else's fault i want that one to be out of my control
0: (laughs) so then if it's if the emotion has a cycle so that means if we're lasting longer than we're that we're sticking in the middle of it we're staying there as opposed to letting it flow through you're saying Mm -hmm. right in the middle somewhere we've just held on
1: clawed onto something and said, I'm not letting go of this anger. Yeah. 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 And which annoys me. It really annoys me because then what it does. So feeling empowered is, is such a big deal. So like when I, when I heard that affirmation that I could dump my anger on God, I felt so empowered. It's like, Oh, I now have this resource. When I hear that my emotions are my responsibility, That's an empowerment that I'm not sure I always want to have. I'd like that to be blamed on something else. Um, But when I'm in the space where I'm prepared to hold that responsibility and experiment with it and sit with it, then I can rely on some of the tools that I have learned in the last 10 to 12 years through the sessions that I've done um, with a couple of energy people, uh, Jules being one of them. I've learned a lot from her and also books that I've read because I find this so fascinating. And so then I just would like take all the things that I could. So if there's one that I would share that I think is accessible to everybody, no matter what kind of resources you have around you, it's one that I learned from Abraham Hicks. And so if people want to search that up, they can. It's called The Emotional Emotional ladder. Or climbing up the emotional scale. And this was a really freeing concept for me. Emotions are our guides. They're guideposts. They're signs. They reflect back to us some information that we need to know. And so basically if I'm feeling angry, for example, what it means is that there's something going on that I'm not enjoying. Duh, that's obvious. Each emotion, that we feel is a chemical signal, like a chemical soup that exists in our body. And it also emits a vibrational signal, like an an energetic wave pattern. Like our heart has, they can measure the, the energy that comes off of our heart. Our brains have it. Well, our emotions affect that. And so different emotions will have a different vibration. And the, the one at the, that tends to be the lowest is stuff like fear and grief and depression, despair, powerlessness, those kinds of things. And that makes sense. Like when, you're, when we're at our lowest, those are kind of the things that we're identifying with at that time. On the other hand, on the other end of the spectrum, when we're on a mountaintop experience, it's joy and peace and empowerment and freedom you know, pure love, appreciation, gratitude, those kinds of things. Those are at the other end of the spectrum. And so when, often when we're grieving, the people around us care, they care so much about us and they want to help. And I used to do this all the time. You try and just make the person feel better. You try and get what we're trying to do is to get them from the bottom of the ladder in grief to the top of the ladder, feeling joy. And we're trying to do that with one sentence or one card or one just do this kind of suggestion. Well, it's a long ladder. And if we think about climbing an actual ladder or climbing a big long flight of stairs, our legs, our legs are not long enough to get from the bottom to the top in one step. We can't do it. It has to be one step at a time. And so energetically, with these, with, if we think of it all as vibration, like if you imagine waves on the lake, they don't go from ripples to huge waves all at once. It's a process. Same thing. And so if we're feeling really, really low, so for example, I'm a mom, I have kids, sometimes I get angry. If I'm feeling angry about something, if I first acknowledge it, and that step I didn't realize was important until much more recently. Stop, feel this. Yep, I'm angry. Okay. And just feel it for a minute, maybe 90 seconds. And then, if I have this space, of course, I'm not I'm not gonna do this in front of my children, I'm not gonna react in front of them. This is this is the time when I go lock myself in the bathroom later, have a little bit of a cry, <laughs> get it out, then I reach for. Once you've named it, once you've felt it, then I reach for the next best feeling thought, the next step. And so it's the next, it's the next different level of wave on the lake. And so maybe then I can sit with it and I can think, okay, they did do this nice thing. Okay. So maybe I'm, maybe I'm just frustrated about this one particular thing that happens. So now I've shifted it. Now I'm not angry anymore. I'm frustrated by this thing. Okay, so that, and that feels better to me. It actually feels better to feel frustrated. Okay, and then I try again. Okay, once I've sat with that for a minute, am I ready to try another one? Yep, I can, all right. And so then I reach for the next best. And you keep going through this process. So maybe then I'm just irritated. I'm irritated by this teenage behavior. I'm irritated by this, whatever. This is normal. This happens. Okay. So instead of angry, I'm not frustrated anymore. I'm just irritated. Okay. And if I sit with it, maybe I can sit with it one more time. And then I just decide, you know what? I'm bored. I'm tired of having this argument with them. I'm just bored. And that's better than being angry. And then what happens in our brains is we've actually shifted from working from our brain stem back into working with, the front of our brains, which is where we have our creativity and problem solving and thinking parts. And then as we move up, we access more of the problem solving parts. And then we're in a better space to respond rather than react. And so sometimes you can only get up one. Like for me, when Nathan had died, I was grieving. And then I had to spend a long time being angry. Angry is actually higher than grief. And it felt better to be angry. And so if you are with a grieving person and they used to be just despondent and now they're just angry, let them be angry because it's actually a step up. We get uncomfortable with anger and granted there are improper ways and inappropriate ways to express it, but it's okay to be angry. It's okay to feel angry. And that was the gift that those three women friends who had experienced an infant loss, that they gave me they let me be angry they said yeah say all the things you need to say we felt them too it is not wrong
0: that's what I love about I love that affirmation they gave you but also the latter it affirms that each uh, emotion is valid in some way at that yes. moment an angry response or a grieving response is valid but it doesn't necessarily mean you need to stay at that wrong. And then that you actually have something about your own determination to sit with the emotion all the way through and then move up the ladder, even if it's slowly, like you said, even if it's just one run, it's very hopeful. Yeah. It's very hopeful that it, you're not invalidating the emotion just to move up the run. Exactly. So, yeah, I, that's yeah. That's
1: fascinating. Yeah. And sometimes it is, like it's a cliche, but there are two steps forward and one step back. And, and that's okay. But the beauty of it is once the more that I practice this and believe me, there are times when I do not want to practice this. And so sometimes I just choose not to, and that's my choice. And I acknowledge that choice say, I'm not ready to try and get myself out of this right now. I really want to feel angry and mad and I'm going to go for a long walk and I'm going to be angry for the whole walk. And that's fine because I know it's a choice that I'm making and it's okay but the more that i practice it's like a muscle the easier it is to recognize when i have found the next best feeling thought because i can't get from being angry with someone to feeling hopeful that maybe we could actually solve this i can't get there in one step but i get quicker at climbing the ladder and then the hard step which might be going from being bored to Feeling like, well, maybe there is something that could be done. Maybe that's the hard one because it's new. So I've gotten good getting that far, and then I'm ready to try. I, eventually, I can choose when I'm ready right. <laughs> to take a deep breath. And I'm like, okay, now I'm going to go for that
0: next one. When you were describing the ladder, I I did have to admit I struggled a little bit to think about when I'm. When I'm angry, let's pick angry because I mean, a, a, the grief and loss, yes, but I, I find sometimes I cover up and I numb myself from the grief and loss with anger, um, to find, to be creative enough to find that next yeah. the level up, which, which I, I, I could have to practice this because I'm not sure, but I also know that we are, humans are just creative to the core. I mean, we, we problem solve and so, I love puzzles, let's say, and I love, to solve puzzles and to problem solve. So I'm just going to have to give this to myself as as a new puzzle on my life. Now to learn to sit with these all the way through the emotion, validate it, name it, but then creatively look up what's the
1: next best possible level. And sometimes it helps when we stop thinking with our brain. Like when I said that baseball bat just showed up for me and then the fence post showed up, sometimes it's fine, I throw up my hands I can't figure this out, I don't know what's next. And then for me, I go for a walk. Some people go for a run. Some people will create something, like they'll paint or they'll, whatever it is for us as an individual, whatever it takes to disengage that thinking part of the brain and let the body wisdom say, and for me, I'll, I'll either see a picture in my imagination or I'll just hear this little, well, how about this? And you wouldn't believe the number of times when I see that and I go, oh, you're right. Ugh, yeah. Fine. Yes, that's the next thing. I was hoping that I could just use this as an excuse to stay stuck. Oh, darn. Okay, fine. <laughs> and then then my body says, you know how to do this. Yes. You can do this. Here is the next microscopic sometimes best next step.
0: We are Habits of Creature, that's for sure.
1: Yeah, Yeah,
0: for sure. And I want to thank you so much. I feel like we could talk for another two hours for sure. So maybe (laughs) we need to create a next episode or something about where we go on and talk
1: about this. Can I tell you about the course that I'm teaching? Sure, absolutely. I would love for you, yeah. So in my desire to share these things that I've learned, I've um, created, with the help of several other people, created a course called Moving Through Emotions. And in it, it's a four-week course. We meet on, uh, it'll be Monday nights starting on the 19th of April online. And we combine scent because emotions and memory and smell are all processed in the same part of the brain. So we use smell and journaling and breathing. And I do um, a guided meditation together with some Reiki that I send distantly through uh, the ethers, I guess, through the interwebs. And uh, I've run it once already and people found it really helpful. And because I guess because I've been doing this myself inside of myself for so long, but I haven't had the courage to share it. I didn't, I kind of forgot that other people might not have learned this yet. Like in the same way that people taught me, I kind of forgot, oh, right. We're all on different, we're all in different spots. (laughs) And so if people are interested, um, registration is open. That's great. So I will put the link in the show notes
0: and anywhere else like sure. this. We'll make sure the link is there that they can um, catch up with you and maybe some of your other social media links as well. We'll throw in there so people can just follow Absolutely. you and keep learning from you as you're learning from others. Yeah,
1: it's a so, it's a pay it forward
0: kind of thing. Awesome. I, I do want to thank you uh, not only for just being here and and sharing your experience, but with being so fiercely real about it, raw even. Um, and just uh, sharing with such honesty and vulnerability i just i so appreciate that in you as a person and for you sharing that with the listeners today just very very thank you
1: yeah it's an honor Um, yeah great
0: so um thank you so much for being here and i hope that you stay well
1: thank you and you too